Hey everybody, um, we just want to really quickly preface this episode um, with the acknowledgement of what happened in Nashville on Monday, and we are aware that talking about a movie that is filled with violence in this trying time is difficult, but we want to say we understand if you guys don't want to listen to uh, this episode, but at the same time, what we're talking about in this episode is important. And I think uh, if you'd like to, um, please continue to listen. But again, we do understand uh, if this this subject matter is too much. So um, as always, thank you for listening. We above all think communication around these things that happen is the most important thing we can do right now. So we're here to continue the conversation. Uh, hope you're here to listen. Thanks so much. Making a name for yourself in the film industry is an extremely high difficulty shot. It's competitive, demoralizing, and completely obscured by hundreds of obstructions, making the target nearly impossible to hit. But sometimes, just sometimes, with sheer will and a stubborn refusal to quit, things line up just right for you to hit a bullseye. In the early 2000s, aspiring screenwriter Derek Colstead was struggling to find his mark. He found himself churning out screenplay after screenplay, but none would strike true. Moving to LA to be closer to the industry, Colstead was ready to throw in the towel after just two months. But luckily, his wife encouraged him to stick it out. Because around 2012, after over 60 screenplays, Colstead finally found some success with two smaller action films. But he would later get a kill shot with his screenplay entitled Scorn, a story about a retired assassin who's dragged back into his old habits in a revenge-fueled rampage. Meanwhile, at the same time, Basil Iwanek and his production company Thunder Road Films were looking to make some moves in the action film game. After years of developing films with Warner Brothers, Iwanek wanted more autonomy to develop their own stories. Around then was when a little spec script by Colstead made its way across Iwanek's table. And although the Scorn script was embroiled in a bidding war with four other suitors, Colstead ended up going with Iwanek even though they were the lowest bidder because Thunder Road was ready to go into production on the film immediately. Colstead and Iwanek would continue to develop the script together while the research for the talent began on John Originally, the role of John Wick was written for an actor in their 60s or 70s. Names like Clint Eastwood and Harrison Ford were even floated around. But once again, the stars aligned and a friend of Iwanek, who was a talent agent at Creative Artists Agency, asked Iwanek if he had any upcoming action films in development for their client, Keanu Reeves. Iwanek sent the script over to Reeves and he loved it. He loved it so much he sent it to his Matrix stunt coordinators Chad Stahelski and David Leach to see if they wanted to join him on the project. But Stahelski and Leach loved that script so much that they didn't want to just stunt coordinate for it. They wanted to direct the whole thing. And that turned out to be very lucky since all the other directors Colstead and Iwanek were considering wanted to change the film to be a more cliche version of itself. And eventually, the role was aged down and Reeves officially signed on to play the titular character as the Housey and Leach were brought on to direct. The film was almost DOA when the small cash poor production company nearly declared bankruptcy due to issues with financiers. But Iwanek deferred his own payments 
and dipped into his personal credit card to make the film happen, wrapping principal photography in December of 2013. Even after post-production of the film was complete, John Wick struggled to secure any distribution offer, many believing that the film would fail due to its unproven directors at the helm and Reeves' declining box office draw at the time. One failed screening even had executives walking out of the film shortly after it had started. But executives at Lionsgate saw the potential of the film and made an offer. Lionsgate championed the film and with a great showing at several film festivals and a very successful ad campaign, John Wick hit theaters in October of 2014 and absolutely slayed, making over $86 million worldwide and receiving widespread critical acclaim and even reviving Reeves' career, leading us into the keanu songs that we are still currently in. The success of John Wick turned into a nearly billion-dollar franchise consisting of four films, two video games, and a television series. With the grit and will of John Wick himself, Derek Colstead and Basil Iwanek took out all those who stood in their way and hit this one right between the eyes. That's the film we are talking about today. So today, we are taking our shot at this film as we ask the question, John Wick, what's it about? I'm Ricardo Blaine Diaz. I'm Seth Pro. I'm Megan Branham. And this is the What's It About Film Podcast, a show where we try to glean the meaning of it all through the media we consume, holding near up to ourselves and seeing how it reflects in our own lives. Seth and Megan, how you doing today? <sighs> yeah. Yeah. I feel that. I feel it. It's weighty. I feel it too. There's a lot of weight in the air. Yes. Yes. Uh, off the bat, I want to, first, I want to apologize to one of my co-hosts because uh, they were blindsided by this movie a little bit uh, and sent, <laughs> sent, sent me and Seth a strongly worded text. <laughs> uh, so, Megan, I, I apologize for not warning you about a particular part of this film. Okay. Uh, um, because well, it is almost ten years old now, which is crazy to think about. This movie came out almost ten years ago, so I, I genuinely I've forgotten that that is that that is a shocking part of this movie. Yeah, um, because everyone knows it, every because I felt like everybody knew that that's what that movie not. is known for. I couldn't no. believe you. I couldn't believe you hadn't seen it. I'm, I was very I, surprised. Yeah, I mean, a warning would have been great. Uh, <laughs> again i i apologize because you know i just assumed that people knew that that was the like they murdered the dog movie um so i apologize it's okay i got all attached to daisy and then uh, i know it's a cute little dog i, I like how it came already trained yeah she was sweet <laughs> she's very sweet r.i.p r.i.p daisy um and yeah, so John Wick is the movie. I picked John Wick because the fourth installment of the film franchise comes out this week. Um, and it's a movie that I think, even though it's kind of like a little bit of a pulpy action movie, I think there is something in here to discuss um, thematically and personally um, that we'll get into a little bit later. But uh, yeah, so so Megan, this was your first time seeing John Wick. Um, yes. And so what was your uh, experience of it other than obviously the first like 15 minutes or so? Yeah, um, I I watched it I think like Saturday. It must have been. Um, and 
I my mom really loves the whole franchise. My mom's more of an action movie gal mm-hmm. than I am, although I'm coming around a little bit. Um, so I knew, and I have friends who like it. Like I know that it's you know kind of beloved. So I went in with an open mind, and I thought it was really. I mean, other than the first fifteen minutes, it was really entertaining. It was really, you know, it's an action movie. It's a John Wick movie. I get that it's like its own genre. Um, and the fight scenes were cool. Keanu Reeves was cool. Mm. Yeah, I liked it. Awesome, cool. What about you, Seth? What's your history with John Wick? Uh, I I saw this movie for the first time like a couple years back. Um, what I what I like about it is its simplicity. You know, there's no, it, it's not complicated, and part of the enjoyment of the film is that there's so much like mystery around that world you know what i mean uh, i haven't seen any of the other movies um but it actually like i I'm, I'm a little nervous to watch them because i think it's gonna those movies fill out the world around john wick and like i almost don't want that like what i like about this movie is that we know so little and all like it's just it's just a a movie about justice like that's not my that's not my official thing Glenn, but like it's just very uh simple you know like got you you mess with the wrong guy and then the that guy does what he has to do you know what i mean mm-hmm. and uh so it's a it was a re- when it came out it was really refreshing because it just was like taking cinema back to what we want you know like back to like a core core storytelling and you know for in terms of the fight stuff like just someone who just you know has watched a lot of action movies growing up like it's nice to see struggle in fight sequences you know like Mm. this is this is like the first time i would i would say like before this it was like born identity style you know and now we are in a new phase where it's like no we want to see the the struggle that occurs in a fight because it's yeah. real, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's my, my perspective. Nice. Yeah. I saw this movie the year it came out. So I, I, I remember I was like, I, I hadn't heard of the movie before it came out, but this, when it hit theaters, it became like a surprise hit. Like people were talking about it when it came out because it was so surprising. It was like, Oh, Keanu Reeves has this new movie out and it's this crazy like shoot em up style movie. And again, yeah, at that time, like Keanu Reeves was not like a box office draw. He was not like the name he is. He's, he was, and he's not like the name he is now. And so it was a surprise to have like, what? Like a Keanu Reeves movie is, is like killing it right now. Um, and so I went and saw it and I was, I was very surprised by it. I was blown away by, again, it, it, it is simple. Like, I think it, 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 we all in this movie feel this, this anger and the movie gives us what we want. This like catharsis of a release of anger and rage and grief. Uh, you, like you said, Seth, someone does a bad thing. They get punished for it and they get punished harshly and without mercy. And like there is something about that that's primal, uh, and and carnal, and I think, like like Megan had a very visceral reaction to that fifteen minutes, and I think the movie's like, oh, don't worry, 
they're going to get theirs, you know? And I think there's something really genius and simple about that, that like other revenge movies, you know, revenge movies have been around for forever. Um, but like this movie does it so well. And it's such a in such a subversive way where you think it's like that typical oh you killed my wife and my family and my kids and and now I kill all you and it's like mm, we're gonna go even simpler than that mm. and you'll still go along with it mm-hmm. which and is, there's so little dialogue think, there's so little dialogue in this movie they do such a good job of of like visual storytelling mm-hmm. you know yeah. yeah there's that moment on the phone where uh, Vigo calls John. <laughs> and John doesn't even say a word and he hangs up and, go, and, and uh, the uh, the Allstate guy <laughs> Havoc from the Mayhem, Mayhem from the Allstate yeah, commercials uh, is like, what do he say? And Vigo says enough mm. <laughs> he didn't say anything <laughs> but that speaks volumes for John, I guess um, so yeah, I think this is a really interesting movie and to acknowledge the elephant in the room uh, on this one, uh, you know, we're recording this a few days after the Nashville school shooting. Yeah. Um, and I know that like has a, a lot of the country really kind of rocked. Uh, and this movie is is a shoot 'em up movie, and there is a conversation about you know gun laws in this country and our media and how we portray violence and and we can absolutely get into that discussion. But I think there's something else in this movie that also might align with some of that, some of the, what's going on in our, in our country and in our world right now that I, at least that from what my perspective is of this movie, which we can get into in a little bit, but well, um, not to say that I think, I mean, th- that's what this podcast is about, right? Like, mm. like art reflecting life. And unfortunately, you uh, was a little on the nose this week, you know, uh, with mm. this selection. And, um, but I think, I think it's good. It's a good, though the film itself <clears throat> might be difficult to palette. Like, I think it's a good springboard for conversation and, um, it's not an, I don't, I have no idea how to unravel this problem, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I mean, there are quick answers, but I don't think they're realistic answers, you know? So it's, it's a, it's a very complicated conversation and, mm-hmm. But the, you know, that's why we're here to have those. And, um, it's, I mean, yeah, like you can feel it in the air everywhere. Like Nashville feels like a different place right now. You know, it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like Nashville. It feels. Yeah. I was just to say, but our two co-hosts here, both Megan and Seth live in that community, um, and are a little closer to it than I am out here in LA. So, um, you know, our, our, you know, our hearts and our condolences go out to the whole entire Nashville community. Um, and I understand that that feels like an empty gesture and that doesn't necessarily mean anything, but 
um, you know, when something like this happens, we all we all hurt. Um, so yeah, again, if any of our audience out there doesn't want to listen to this podcast because you know because of the nature of this film, um, wants to give it some space, we absolutely understand that. Um, so please, you know, take take care of your own mental health and uh, you know take care of yourself. You can always come back to this episode at a different time. So um, yeah, we understand that. Um, but for anybody out there who wants to continue, um, and wants to listen to this podcast and hear what we have to say about this film, uh, here's just a little reminder of, of what this film is, what the, the general premise of the film is, uh, in case you had not watched it before listening to this or had never watched it. Uh, so, uh, this is the general plot of this film. So a former assassin, John Wick, comes out of retirement in a revenge-fueled crusade to kill the man who murdered the dog his wife left him just days after her death. Um, very emotionally loaded, this movie. Very emotionally loaded. And so I think we can get into it. So since this is my pick, uh, I am going to choose who I want to hear from first. So... Seth Crow. Yes. John Wick. What's it about? Oh, man. Uh, I mean, I, I said, I kind of mentioned at the beginning, uh, justice is like the key word here, but that word doesn't come off the tongue super well. <laughs> now that, now, now that we're supposed, uh, the shooting, um, it does it, it's it's difficult to describe justice i think it's justice is more complex than this film uh portrays it so uh well I, and and not to cut you off here um, I think this film dips its toe into some of some of that idea and it gets into it a little bit more later in the franchise. This idea that John is this I mean, he is this legendary, you know, m- almost mythic figure in his in his yeah. world. Yeah. And he's done some bad shit. Yeah. And and the movie very much alludes to some of this in this in this first movie. They allude to some of the things he do, he's done. And I think John struggles with thinking that he deserves what he got. Yeah. It doesn't change how upset and 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 how much he wants payback, but I think he, you know, he questions whether or not he he you know, he's being punished for the sins of his past. Yeah. Um, an idea, like you said, this idea of, of justice. Like, is he is that justice for all the things that he's he's done? Uh, so I, I think I think what I'll say is there is a part of human nature that craves purity in justice. So, like, mm-hmm. there is this. There is this like part of us that's like, no, and I, I, maybe I've mentioned this a couple times on the podcast is like, you know, what's right and what's wrong. Like de- deep, 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 deep down, we have this like compass that in our gut tells us what's right and what's wrong. 
and watching John, you know, get vengeance for this murder of a dog just feels right as we watch it. You know, it just feels absolutely vindicated. Um, but I think I, I think that's like the first layer of this movie. The second layer has to do with John and his nature. Um, and I think maybe that's where it gets more interesting. Um, because he is this like beast of a man and he found something something and someone and a, a reason to not be this beast and once that's taken away from him it's like the beast is back out of the cage and and he's like he's fighting it he's fighting it but eventually he's like no, I'm back, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and uh, I think I think I think that's really interesting. So um, because that is his that is his nature, you know, and uh, I'm interested to talk about like, I, I think there's some parallel there with the dogs, you know, and like and then him choosing a pit bull at the end. Uh, I think there's some something to be said about that like in that selection it's like he needs he, he doesn't want to be a rabbit dog you know like he wants structure he wants his he, he wants to love and to be loved but it's like yeah he, he he's un, without his wife he's unleashed you know and that's interesting. I, I, that's saying some things. I don't know if it's saying, it's not saying anything necessarily positive, uh, but it's definitely, that's there. I see that is what I'm saying. Yeah. To, 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 you know, spring off of that, I think something that, that they do, a few things interesting with, like you said, with John Wick's character in general, is first thing they do is they don't make him like a superhero or like a super powered person as in like, he's not the strongest. He's not the fastest. He's not the necessarily the smartest. He gets outsmarted quite a bit. Um, but he just does not quit. He just does not stop. Insatiable will. Yeah. Yeah. They say in the movie, he just somehow has this, drive that if he has this goal in mind or something that he needs to accomplish somehow he's going to make it happen and to 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 his own detriment you know uh which i think is is metaphorically really interesting and then this the other thing that his that happens is he's in the the like nightclub not the nightclub he's in like the speakeasy um and the bartender's like i've never seen you like this uh, and she says vulnerable, um, yeah. which I think is really, really interesting. Um, uh, Megan, what are you thinking? Um, I agree with what you're saying with the, with what both of you have said. I think the, um, I think the deeper character study of him, I guess I didn't think about as much. Um, I think it was more, it's always an interesting 
an interesting conversation of it. It's very frustrating. Like he, he tried to play by the rules and the people doing the bad things there aren't like, it's just very frustrating when the good guys get sick of playing by the rules. (sighs) Then there's that like internal like struggle of like, well, you feel bad about that, but also you can't, he, he couldn't, I don't know, get justice if he was playing by the rules that he's stated. It's just very, there's a lot. And I'm like thinking like politically about how frustrated mostly I'm, I'm thinking right now because it's hard to divorce everything that's happening politically from the fact that some people in charge don't play by the rules that they pretend to play by. Yeah. But everybody who's trying to do the right thing is so focused on the rules because that's what, you know, they're like, well, we're good people. We're going to play by the rules. Obviously this is a very extreme example where violence is involved, right. but, but it's, there is a part of me when watching it was like, yeah, sometimes you're so frustrated as somebody who wants to do the right thing and see something like someone held accountable for doing terrible things, whether directly or indirectly and held accountable, obviously again, in this way, it's an extreme way. But um, I think that's where part of that uh, feeling of catharsis comes from. It's like, well, like you just get sick of seeing bad guys win. And in this movie, like, and not to say that's where some of the gray area comes in. I don't know if John Wick's a good or a bad guy, but the people he is after in this are like pretty, I think it's pretty obvious they're bad guys. Um, so that's part of the catharsis is seeing somebody just like, be like, no, we're not, you don't get any more, like we're no conversation. I, I don't want, I don't want to talk to you on the phone and I don't, I don't want your, like your, your wordplay and your coercion. And there's no room for that anymore. Um, cause you had every chance and you didn't use it. Yeah, yeah, Megan, I love, I love what you're saying here. I, it, it, when I first saw this movie, and and this this continues throughout the franchise for me, uh, and it, so it's really interesting for me to hear you guys saying these things. For me, having seen all the other movies except for this most recent one that comes out this week, and this this idea of the rules, right? The rules. There, this this movie has layers of of rules, right? There's the rules of this war of our world. You know the normal world that we, that that John Wick is trying to live in and wants to stay away from. But then there's this a secondary world that also has its own rules. And the one of the most frustrating things about it is, like you said, Megan, people aren't following the rules. Like, it, and it's frustrating because you know because you know they get away with it all the time, and you see them get away with it all the time, and. It's very rare that there's somebody on the opposite side of that who is following the rules, who has necessarily the ability and the power to do something about that and to, like you said, to punish people who break the rules. And there is a, like you said, a catharsis to watching somebody who you who, who thinks they're untouchable, right? Mm. They think they're untouchable, that they can do whatever they want, they can break all the rules they want, and you know, we see this even with uh, uh, Perkins, the the female assassin, right? She mm. she legitimately thinks she can get away with breaking the rules. Uh, mm. She's she's really cocky about it too, you know. Mm. And it's kind of nice to see a movie that says absolutely fucking not, you know. 
No, mm. you're not getting. No one's getting away with even even some of the rules with like, uh, I can't remember Willem Dafoe's character's name, uh, but you know he takes a contract and then doesn't doesn't try to complete it, and he mm-hmm. p- gets punished for that because that's a break. That's a breaking of of a code that they have, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as much as we're we think morally he's doing the right thing, he, like you know not killing his friend and his you know. Is John Wick, quote-unquote, in the right here? Mm. Um, it's still breaking a rules of engagement in that world, and he's punished for it. Um, so it's yeah. it's interesting to to watch a kid, to watch, you know, like you said, is John Wick a good guy, quote-unquote? It's, you know, it's hard to say. We don't, we don't know everything that he's done or, you know, or anything like that. But mm-hmm. we see a person that looks like they're trying to change, they're trying mm-hmm. to be better, and we want, like you said, we want to root for that for that person. We want that person to be better, mm-hmm. you know, because we can tell he wants to. He in his heart, he wants to be a good guy. Like Seth said, he wants to love. He wants to be loved. He wants to just exist outside of this anger that he has, and we want that for him. And when it's taken away from him, we are just almost as angry as he is. Yeah. Go ahead. The word is wrath, and it's like justified wrath. Yeah. Yeah. And it is curious of like, like you said, we, we, where do we see this in our world? You know, if we want to get into that, it's. Well, I think it's very, I think we just should. Yeah. Like, I think it's inherently like, impossible to like, avoid. I think I just see your face, mate. It's, it's always, it's always, it's always a joy to watch your face. <laughs> over over the podcast because no i think i just look sad nobody nobody else can see but like like i can today it's just i can like bummed. your 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 face has like has your inner monologue on it as as i look yeah. at you which is is cool but uh so it's like yeah i mean we're all we're all in this state of mind and like john wick is like not a, a great movie to have like I'm, I'm thankful that I'm thankful you decided to watch it before. Yeah, me too. Because I like, yeah. I, I just don't think we would have if mm-hmm. you had, uh, if, if the <sighs> shooting had happened first. But like, I, I do want to say it is still. I do think about that every time I watch these movies now, and I don't know. I, I don't really watch a ton of of like shoot 'em up movies, so I don't know, but. Honestly, if we're gonna if we're gonna talk about this stuff, um, and definitely put a trigger warning at the beginning of the episode. Oh yeah. Um, and I watched this Saturday before anything happened here, um, or this particular thing happened here. I was also in Orlando in um, twenty was it twenty sixteen um, during the the pulse shooting. I was I didn't know anybody in it, but I had immediate friends who knew two or three people. I worked at Universal at the time. I think two or three staff members of Universal were were killed there. And so that felt very close to home. And so seeing the scene in the nightclub, that's a part of what I'm thinking of is like I a part of me gets so uncomfortable because I remember that. And I remember hearing my friends describe their fear and hearing like and then this thing happened and just in these conversations and you're saying like we're a part of this community, we're in Nashville. I just, and I'm so distantly, very luckily, very luckily, I have been still pretty distantly removed from these situations. 
but even on the peripheral, I'm just so sad and tired and angry of, of, (laughs) of this happening everywhere. But like, this is the second, it's just, I'm, I'm, it's just a lot. Yeah. And I think, again, I think Seth's right. We can't really sidestep this. We can't really tiptoe around this. This movie, weirdly enough, mirrors a lot of our like political culture right now. Um, and we're seeing very p- powerful people being able to just kind of like shuffle off accountability over and over and over and over again. And it's, it's kind of infuriating. Mm. Uh, And, you know, for me, this movie and the reason why, like after like, so again, we, I picked the, we, I picked this movie before all the, the shooting happened. And when it had happened, I, my immediate thought, you know, was should we do should we postpone this this episode um, for obvious reasons? Mm-hmm. Um, and this actually happened to us last year around this time when we did uh, No Country for Old Men, and there was the Uvalde shooting. Um, and so it's weird that like both times that we've done a movie kind of that has this vibe to it, where we had picked it and then something had happened like that is is unsettling. Um, but for me, this movie is about breaking points. Mm. You know, people can only be pushed so far before they will snap. And, and wrath is such a good word for it, Seth, in that once, once, you know, the camel's back breaks, Things go bad. And in this movie, we are on John's side because we felt it and experienced it with him. Not all of it, but we empathize and we understand. You know, we've all experienced the, lo- the premature loss of a loved one um, before their time and the grief and the pain that comes along with that. And then to think about the thing that you turn to for comfort your your companion, your pet, your friends, your family, to then be like, and then that's taken away from you. And then another thing is taken away from you. And then another thing and another thing and another thing. You can only take so much before you want, you know, you want your pound of flesh. And there's also some, yeah, no, yeah, definitely. And there's also something to be said for like the dog that's like you said, it's like, it's, it's so simplified this like formula for an action movie where it's like you lose something and then you want vengeance for it. But I think making like a puppy, there's not much more innocent yeah. or pure than like a, a, any, an animal, but like, especially a tiny little puppy. And I think that same feeling of rage when you see that happen, children are being, killed and so it's a that's this like it's like an innocent there's just no fucking reason for it Mm. and it's so infuriating and it's so like a visceral thing so i think there's there's kind of a 
familiarity there too, where you're like this person or this animal did nothing and they can't do anything to protect themselves. And it feels so, you feel helpless and you feel scared and you don't know what to do. And in this movie, obviously it's, you know, it's a movie. So goes mm-hmm. well, for full blown action catharsis, but I, I, I gotta, I gotta like, I gotta dig into this, like really like for real, for mm-hmm. real. Um, so like, we're talking like breaking points, right? Like this shooter, what, what happened for this shooter to get to this place? Because no, no rational person is like, I'm going to go shoot up a school because that's the, that's the, that makes sense, you know? So like, if you're doing that, you're trying to get attention in a way to be heard. You're trying to do the worst thing you can possibly think of to, to have attention on your life. And, well, this person this, wants, wants to inflict pain. Yeah. But on a, on a massive yeah. scale. Yeah. But also so that way their message could be heard. Right. Like, um, and, and so like, of course it's awful but what what were the circumstances and as to which this person could get to this place right and i can't we got to we got like it's it's part of the conversation and it's a there's like no matter how you look at this situation it's fucked up like like the fact that this person was trans is a is a horrible tragedy for that community and like, and it makes me angry. Like it's, it's, it's such a complex situation because like I, the, the, the police officers that did their job and put down this person, I have this secret fear that they got some sort of John Wick sense of justice out of putting this person down. And the fact that they were trans reinforces that sense of justice. Right. Does that make sense? The, well, yeah. The, well, I mean, so like you said, the tragedy in itself of any, anybody who would do this and all any loss of life in this way is horrifically tra- is tragic and, and absolutely devastating. But then on top of it, for it to have been a trans person – the fear it, there becomes a fear that there that the fact that this was a trans person like galvanizes a viewpoint yeah a very horrible horrible viewpoint about that community yeah um that is sickening that there's like there's now a thing to point to to be like see what we've been saying this whole time and that's <laughs> Very, very upsetting because that's another layer of, yeah, it's another layer to it where it's like, you know, again, specifically in that part of our country, in that Bible Belt area, Kentucky, Tennessee, Alabama, Mississippi, you know, all that area, all of these, all this new legislation is being passed recently. Mm -hmm. 
And that community, the trans community, is being targeted heavily by the this legislation. We just did Mrs. Doubtfire, you know? Like where we talked yeah, we about just, this yeah. oppression, yeah. you know? And and again, it, it's been so relentless lately. You know, it feels like every you know, all these laws are being passed that are specifically there to demonize and to, you know, it, it's almost – not almost. It is it is a, a political party who is trying to eradicate a group through legislation, it, through, and I, through the law saying this is legal. We're legally allowed to eradicate you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's especially frustrating when stuff like that comes out and you worry for that community and you're worried for the community. You're worried about everybody. But to also know that the people in charge are going to spin it, they're going to deflect again away from the actual problem. They're going to ignore the fact that most of these shooters are straight or cis white men. Like they're going to they're going to pick the one thing that fits their narrative and they're going to play on that until the next one happens. And it's it's just infuriating before they even say anything, you know what's going to happen. You know what they're going to say. And it's, it's so sad. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I grew up Catholic to, 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 to kind of express a little bit of how this moment in time in our country is making me feel and, and, and honestly is reaffirming to some of my viewpoints in life. You know, I grew up Catholic, um, pre-K all the way through eighth grade, went to a Catholic school, was going to church twice a week, you know, once in school and then once with my family. And like, you know, grew up being, I wouldn't say super religious, but having those that belief system, you know. And as I got older and as I moved away f- for college and then as I moved to Chicago and as I moved here, I've grown more and more distant from my faith in that way. I do not identify myself as a Catholic anymore. Um, you know, I talk to my dad sometimes and my dad talks, talks about how, you know, both me and my sister have kind of really moved away from the religion. Not that he's super religious either, but you know, my sister is, is declaratively an atheist. Um, I'm kind of more agnostic if not, you know, you know, non-denominational, but like the thing that pushed me away so far from from any type of christian faith in general is you know the whole a bunch of the tenets of that religion is like love thy neighbor and like help the needy and all these like things of like you should care and 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 about people who are in jeopardy about people who are at risk about communities who are being persecuted you should care about them you should love them and that is not what that community ever, ever seems to be doing. At least not politically. And it makes me sick that like somewhat a religion who's supposed to be preaching this like love, love everybody as God loves everyone. And to see this amount of hate and, and bigotry that that community fosters. It's, it's what pushed me away from the religion to begin with. Because I can't reconcile those things. Those things definitely are not Christian. That's for sure. 
That's and that's and and the hypocrisy in that of that they they do it in the name of of their religion. Guns are not Christian. <laughs> like they're not. Uh, I I don't know. I'm just like I'm turning over in my head. Like yeah, like. The reason I redacted my justice statement earlier is because there is no justice in this situation. Mm. And uh, you could choose to see the justice that you want to see. You know, if you're on the side of, oh, this person, uh, this person was killing kids, they got put down and that's justice, you know. But no, that's not justice because the only reason this person got to this place is because of the infrastructure around that person's life, because that person mm-hmm. felt completely powerless in their worldview. And that is the responsibility of all of us. So mm-hmm. it's not it's not as cut and dry as you want to think, Karen, from Liberty Baptist Church, uh, like, yeah, no, no one agrees that we want our kids shot. Like, no one wants that. But there's, mm-hmm. there's more steps to be had, more steps to be taken than just, than just this simplified view of justice, which is what this movie is, and it's what we crave, right? And I, I, I think hearing what you're saying, you're talking like not we're not talking about just about wrath. We're talking about God's wrath. We're talking about mm-hmm. we're talking about an ultimate sense of pure justice. And whether or not that's like we, we want to see that. Right. That's why this movie works is because it feels like God's wrath, like like it feels like. Uh, well, there's a there's a ton of religious symmetry in this movie. I mean, he has uh, John Wick has a tattoo on his back of hands in prayer and some Latin. It says you know, "Fortune favors the bold" on his back, mm-hmm. which I, I, is interesting. Uh, and and you know, there's a scene in the church. Um, there's there's a lot of religious imagery here, um, and you know, for me, like I, I for to to really illustrate what this movie is about. Look no further than the name of the movie. You know, what's the character's name? Wick. You know, you so the thing that you light and that burns is a time bomb. Mm-hmm. Don't light yeah. the wick. You know, don't yeah. ignite the fuse because it's going to explode. You know? Well, and that's, and that's what's, what like John Wick from our perspective is a good guy, you know, mm-hmm. but if John Wick is mentally ill and is, he, you know what I'm saying? Like, like <laughs> it might, he might not be a reliable narrator. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. he might be schizophrenic and has created all these rules. And, you know, like, I, I guess what I'm saying is, is like, it feels like John Wick is a good guy doing the right thing. But at the end of the day, we can't 
we these people that these people that commit these atrocities they think they are getting a sense of wrath they 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 feel driven by this i have to do something because i can no longer not you know but it's directed in the worst way and we have to figure out how to get to not let people get to that place you know like we have to figure out something some way to prevent people's brains breaking and and doing things like this you know and i don't know the answer um i i i have a hard time with the gun conversation because i just don't see america I don't see America giving up their guns. So it's like a very um, frustrating, um, immovable. It's like an unstoppable force moving, moving, meeting an immovable object politically, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, we were a country that was founded upon this idea of don't tell me what to do, right? Like we, we were a colony um, that was part of Great, Great Britain and they were pretty oppressive, obviously. Um, and then we got to a point where we said, leave us alone. Stop oppressing us. And we did something about it. You know, there's a whole war about it. Um, well, the the notion's really simple. the The gun notion is simple, and like you, you can't acknowledge, you can't not acknowledge that position. At least the position is: if the government's corrupt, you should be able to overthrow the government, right? Like, mm-hmm. excuse me. That's the point of the whole gun thing, right? Mm. But we are we are so far along in technological society. Does that even matter anymore? You right. know? Yeah. So so it's like. Well, that's like the whole argument that like I hear a lot of people say is like, do you think that a few good old boys are going to be able to take down the U.S. military? Like right. the like most funded military in the world especially like you said with the technology and the all the things that they have at their disposal do you think that you and your your rack of guns in your shed are going to be able to get that done i think i think also like we're i i i am on the side of yeah, militarily, it probably doesn't matter from a government perspective. Like, you're not going to well, be able to take you know, down the American government. You know what, honestly, they should be thinking about? is, And, and this is, will blow their minds. It's like, hey, are you nervous about, you know, the U.S. military and the government being oppressive and fascist and you're worried mm-hmm. that we need to be able to fight back against them? Here's an idea. How about we lessen how much we fund our military? You know, well, make our military mm-hmm. smaller. Make our military not so strong. Well, I think 
man, this is a fucking complicated conversation. Uh, so <laughs> even though, like, even though I am on the side of, uh, yeah, it probably doesn't matter from the perspective of our military and our government, like you're going to, it's going to be a really hard venture to convince people that they shouldn't be armed because the fact that Americans like most of Americans have weapons is terrifying to other militaries. That's that's what I was like, just going to say. It's it's people think America and Americans are crazy. Like it's a you're right. Like our army is a deterrent to other countries. We're scared of other countries too. Yeah. And people will say, "Oh, we need it's 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 scary to other other countries. That's what it is. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's literally an entire nation of armed people, which is horrifying, um, but it's true. Um, so, and I think it's a very diff. Like, because our country was founded on this idea that we should be able to protect ourselves from from governments, uh, it's going to be. It's like it's a from my cold dead hands literally argument you know it's well it's woven into the fabric of our culture yeah like literal literally yeah so i mean if you take this even further like macro like how the the, the gun is the gun is like the on the ground nuke right like like the governments are in conversations about nuclear warfare you know and like it's like how do you eradicate from human nature this need to conquer and and for violence you know like mm-hmm. i i was listening to a a a podcaster like an uh, evolutionary science podcaster and he was talking about Someone was was on the podcast. Like he would take uh, uh, calls from from listeners, and someone was like, "Oh, human beings are are you know the worst animals on the planet, right? We're the we're the worst. We've done the most damage to to the earth and things like that, and to each other." And and the the host said something interesting. He was like, "If humans weren't here, what's like the next most powerful species, right? Well, guess what? That species would also try to expand." and grow and conquer every species does that you know mm-hmm. ants do that when ants are introduced you know think about any invasive species put an invasive species into an environment what does it do it invades and it takes over yeah. all species want that it's it, survival and expansion are hardwired into into existence yeah so how do we overcome that, you know? Like And that's the thing is that we have evolved, human beings have evolved to a point where we're conscious of that. And if we want to, even though it's hard, could fight against that instinct. But it's hard. And I and I understand that. And it's already kind of too late to like roll that back very much. We've already kind of occupied the earth to to our, the extent that we can um you know seven plus billion people 
I think it might even be eight at this point. I'm not sure. But, like, we've done it. You know? We did it. The world is... The Earth is ours. Now we're killing each other. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think... I mean, this this conversation is literally the global conversation, right? Like we have realized we can no longer be human in this way because it is going to destroy us and the planet, you know? And how do you overcome biology? And it's, I think the answer is also terrifying, <laughs> but I don't see it. Um, we're going to have to sacrifice some of our humanity uh, to overcome this, I think, which is. What do you mean? Yeah, what do you mean by that? Um, so. In order to overcome this, the the negatives of our biology, we're also probably going to have to give up some positives too. And I think that's a complete. I think I think as a global society, we will eventually surrender to technology. Like Chat GPT is like the first ex major example of of where we're going, um, and it's scary because. I think we are going to be able to solve a lot of problems with technology and we're going to be able to regulate and enforce laws a lot easier. Um, once, once technology is completely integrated into humanity, uh, which is already almost there anyway, but like if you're walking around with, a, you know, like if your eyes are video cameras, like everything can be monitored and and so that being said, like, yeah, we're going to be able to, to watch everything. Um, but at the same time, because we're going to be so integrated with this technology, we're going to be bound by it. So like the way you're bound by your phone now, imagine that completely integrated into your, your body, you know? So, I mean, that's where we're going. <laughs> My phone started to ring. <laughs> I, I'm so sorry. Way to break the tension. That's technology. Yeah. But I, technology heard us and was like, well, let me step in here. Yeah. I, I, I'm just saying like, I genuinely don't think that humans are going to be able to do this by themselves. They're going to have to use technology to fix this problem. And, and I think we're going to lose some of our humanity in the process. Hmm. Free will, free will is going to take a big hit. And now it's time for a short break.
Hey, sorry to interrupt your favorite podcast, but I'm here to tell you about Shrimp and Crits, an actual play podcast with a southern twist. My name is Ian, and I am the keeper for this show as we play Monster of the Week by Michael Sands. If you like the sound of swampy monster mayhem, gators gone shopping, and magical fairy mischief, you will be right at home in the remote panhandle town of Gullicochica, Florida, where spooky danger has begun to wash ashore. Shrimp and Crits is the story of Sarah Payne the Mundane. All I'm asking for is answers. That's all I'm looking for is the truth. Ari Green the Searcher. You know the proclamations of the fame. I suggest you follow them from now on. And Ray Ray, the most mundane monstrous you will ever meet. Mr. Zeus, I'm a I'm a big fan. I, I knew you were I knew you were real. Um, and Ray Ray's just like bowing in front of this swan. As they fumble their way through protecting their skeptical town from mysterious evils. We release new episodes every other Monday on the podcatcher of your choice. Hope to see you soon soon in sunny Gullicochica. It's so complicated too because I have I have like counterpoints to that but I worry that they're too idealistic at this point. Well okay um like I believe this, there's an Orson Welles quote about this, um, or something like that. But basically, there's this thought of of the depictions of dystopias and utopias in in pop culture and media. There's this idea that both both some kind of a media that's that is portraying a dystopia. What does that do? A di- a dystopic piece of content is meant to highlight a concern right something that that we're seeing in our current culture and society that is a cause for concern if not checked right like it's a snowball effect of hey if this thing is not addressed this is there's a possibility of that this can happen we think of 1984 a brave new world hunger games last of us the giver you know the giver well, the giver is technically a utopia. Oh no, no, it is not a utopia. Well, it depends on how you look at it. They think it's a utopia. Yeah. But then you have utopias. What are utopias meant to? What role are utopias meant to play in our in our media? Um, they're meant to be aspirational, and I can't remember the exact quote, but it's basically like utopias. We're we're we need to to imagine and portray utopias because there's meant to be a goal something we're working towards. Right. Mm -hmm. And when we get to that utopia, we need to keep imagining utopias because we need to keep thinking about where we want to be. Cause the minute we stop imagining a better place, we lose hope. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. right now, dystopias are so, are so prevalent in our pop culture because we are very, very, very pessimistic right now. You know, we, we portray dystopias because all we see are the bad things and how things are going to, are going to go wrong. Mm-hmm. And utopias don't, do not get portrayed nearly as much as they used to. Because like you said, Megan, it feels too idealistic. It feels out of place to aspire to be better. Which yeah, is it feels, sad. Yeah, and it feels almost like there. It feels naive. 
it feels naive. It feels almost not disrespectful, but, but ignoring the reality of the pain people are in mm-hmm. to be like, well, what if, but, but my first thought is, first of all, the amount of money wrapped up in these conversations in this legislation also has to be addressed. And I think the only way, not a huge fan of late stage capitalism. Um, so there's that point. And then there's also the point of the, the lack of diversity and, uh, really the lack of diversity in these, these rooms, these people in charge and ideally more voices in these rooms because like justice, yes, in this movie looks like this very cut and dry thing. Justice, I think, and I can't, I can't speak for the people who have been affected directly. I, whatever their version of justice is, 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 you know, obviously their own thing. I think it would look more like listening to these perspectives of people who are being directly affected giving those perspectives weight and doing something about it. And in a very, it's going to be slow. It's going to be just the way our systems are set up, but like taking any steps at all, like, and that feels impossible right now. So these movies are so cathartic because we're like, okay, well, it, it, there's nothing happening. There's no form of like ideal justice or empathetic justice or justice of care or anything. So we gravitate towards these movies because it's like the only the only thing that gives you any sense of like some retribution. Yeah, Megan, some, some, I, I like what you're saying in that we don't have enough diversity in our, in our leadership, right. In our representatives, mm-hmm. in our, the people who are making the laws for us and telling us what is quote unquote right and wrong mm-hmm. are, are skewed towards a particular demographic and i think it's interesting because the thing that we're we're missing is in in a lot of our lawmaking and and a lot of our legislation is empathy yeah yeah there's no golden rule speaking of untouchable and 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 i think for me that one of the reasons for that is is because there is a lack of diversity there's a lack of people who have experienced discrimination and prejudice mm-hmm. and bias. You know, if you've never experienced that in your life, you may not understand what it feels like. Yeah. And, and, when and the- some people can't empathize with that. The more people who have experienced it can empathize with it and can then make laws that have that woven in, into them. Yeah. And it's not that this is obvious. I, I don't want any of this to happen to anybody, but there is something to be said for the fact that like, there is no golden rule because the people in charge, the people who are being funded so majorly by these organizations, the people who have grown up in privilege and are now in charge, protected by all these things, the spaces these acts of violence are affecting are not going to affect them. They don't, it's like, you know, it's the, the um, pro life, pro choice thing. Like, of course you don't have to worry about it. Cause why would you, you're not a woman. You'll never, you don't, have a uterus right you're not a so, yeah you're not a uterus an owner of yeah a uterus, exactly with pulse like you're not an lgbtq plus person you'll never be in that space with these schools you're you know your kids are in a not that any child should ever be in danger but your kids are in a safe private school you can homeschool them you can do whatever like they have so much 
they don't need to golden rule anything because they will never be affected. So it's, it's only by bringing people into these spaces who have that empathy and who have that point of view and making those the larger voices that anything is going to change at all. Right. It's, it's hard to care what you do unto others when others cannot reach you you're untouchable. To, do, to do unto you, right? Yeah. You are un, yeah. you are unreachable to, yeah. to, to, and I think, that, you know, to bring it back to John Wick a little bit here, I think that's what this Russian family feels. They, like you said, they feel untouchable. And, and there is something here in that, like John Wick, and this is what Vigo, the Vigo says, the, the leader of the Russian uh, group here, John Wick worked for them. And he wanted out, and so Vigo said, "Okay, do this impossible task for me, and I will let you mm-hmm. out." And John mm-hmm. Wick made it happen, and he said, "That is what our like we have ascended to the point we're at now, built upon the foundation of bodies that John laid for us, like built on his back, literally, is where we are now." And there's there's something to be said about that in that you're gonna treat somebody so horribly that is the whole reason that you are able to stand on a mountaintop mm-hmm. and then you're just going to keep punching downwards even yeah. though that person is what got you there mm-hmm. and i think yeah. you know that goes for in our country in our world minority groups mm-hmm. our country is built on the back of of minority groups mm-hmm. african americans uh, Chinese Americans, Japanese Americans, Irish Americans, Latino yeah. Americans, you know, uh, so much of our infrastructure and uh, our country was built on their literally from their sweat and blood and tears, Native American community. Mm-hmm. And yet, and yet the people who, who are now ascended to the top on the struggle of those people are still punching downwards mm-hmm. is and horrible. Yeah. And the only reason to bring it back to the movie, um, uh, the only reason that his son that like, I can't remember his name, the guy who's being, chased uh, the, whole Yusuf. Time, the guy who killed the dog. The only reason that he ever, he didn't even show remorse, but he was like, I can fix it was when he found out that like this person, well, one could hurt him back and two like had done something for him. Like once he realized this person had some sort of sway in his world. Mm-hmm. And if it, well, it, like ideally he wouldn't have done the thing and he would have felt bad about it because this is just another human being who shares a planet with him, mm-hmm. but he's so far removed from that and has been, yeah, it's just, I think there's some sort of something to be said about that too. I, yeah, I agree with you. I don't think he ever feels remorse for what he, no, he's just scared. He's just, exactly. He's just yeah. scared. Of mm-hmm. the repercussions of what he did. I don't think he ever, you know, and it's even that he's not even afraid until well. I think, I think really truthfully until he's in that hot tub and John Wick yeah. shows up and he realizes this guy is insane. Mm. This guy, like he's fought through so many people unscathed. Mm. It's that's scary when you think yeah. you're untouchable and then someone gets right here to you. Yeah, gets past like, that's horror. That's scary. Fifty people. Yeah. yeah. My favorite part in the whole movie is right outside the nightclub. 
when he goes up behind that guy and Francis behind hey, Francis. Francis and Francis like Francis is like yeah I'll take the night off <laughs> he's like he's yeah like, why why don't you take the night off thanks thanks thanks, thanks, thanks John yeah <laughs> and the, there is this weird like John when John talks to somebody like that uh we there is a weird like hey I don't want to kill you because we are familiar. He does show but, mercy. He does show mercy yeah, in some. Yeah. There's very clearly, he's like, I do not want to murder you. The ladies inside the vault, he lets those ladies go. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, yeah. Even, even, even Perkins, you know, yeah, when she yeah. tries to, when she breaks the rules of a continental, comes into his room to murder him in his sleep, he has every reason to cap her yeah. at that moment. And yet he doesn't. And, you know, there is something to be said that, like, she fucks him over again later. You know, she kills that other guy, Harry. She ki- she she gets Marcus. That's it. Marcus. She gets Marcus killed. If, if we're going to movie nitpick here, there's only one moment in this film that I'm like, okay. Like, when when he gets hit by the car... Like he would be dead. Like they would shoot him immediately if it wasn't a movie. You know what I mean? It's like okay, this, probably this guy is a, on a rampage. Let's like let's shoot him immediately. Put but him down now. Instead, yeah. instead they take him to the church and have a villain a villain monologue. You know? Well, you know what, man? This is my argument for a lot of stuff like that. People make that kind of criticism in a lot of movies about like you know the villains had opportunities to kill the heroes, but they don't. They like to like capture them and like rub their noses in it genuinely i think everyone's like no people wouldn't do that i sometimes disagree i think Mm. i think there's a lot of arrogance i think there's again i think they think they've won and Mm. so they love to revel in people's pain they they love to take someone's failure and rub their nose in it Mm. for their own sick sadistic pleasure and i think vigo is that person from what i understand from what I've seen. And so yeah. I understand that like if like you're being a logical person, you do not give John Wick a chance to wake up. Mm-hmm. You kill him when he's unconscious. You know? But if you're an arrogant son of a bitch, you, you're untouchable. You, yeah, you think you mistakes. there's you've won and there's you know, you're invincible. You yeah. you you rub his nose in it and you revel in the fact that you've killed the boogeyman or that right. you you're going to kill the boogeyman. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of sick, but I don't know. Is, I I don't know. I think there are other plot holes in this movie that maybe are more glaring. I think that one is a human behavior thing, and I think some humans would totally want to rub his nose in it. Did John do that? Did John ever, when he's like getting his retribution, did he ever take that time to like make a big speech? Or I can't remember. I no. don't think he did. No, he was just like when even when he found what's his name, Yosef. Yosef. No. He just, he just immediately he, shoot, he shoots him in the stomach, which and is then goes over yeah. and pop because he's, like it's almost like he's not doing it for. I mean, he is doing it for because of, it, it's entirely wrath driven. It's not like ego driven or like any sort of enjoyment at all. It's just like pure retribution. This is he's what old, must no. be done. This is what right. must be done. Is not for John him. Wick yeah. is a heat seeking missile, right? You know, he you know Seth talked about this the other day. He's John Wick's a shark. He's he's he zones in. And that's it. Mm-hmm. There is, there is, there is no, 
there is emotion there. It is driven by a deep emotion, but he almost shuts it off mm-hmm. and is like, you. Yeah. Anything I have to go through to get to you, yeah. I will. And you're right. It's all collateral the, damage. The, the, the yeah. most dialogue we get from him as far as like any kind of righteous – I don't know. Righteousness isn't the right word, but like any – the only time that John ever justifies anything he's doing – like in verbally is when he is tied up he's face to face with Vigo and and he's like look like I was out I was happy all mm-hmm. I wanted was to grieve for this person that I loved and that kind of saved my soul mm-hmm. in a way I've lost that person and then that person somehow in their death gave me still a way to hope yeah and yeah. Your son took that from me. This any semblance of of light and hope in my life and salvation in a way, it's gone. And so guess what? You've brought the devil back. The devil was asleep. The devil was content to never set foot in your lives ever again. And you, and you provoked the devil. Well, what's so – I don't know. And it's a movie. So yeah, but cosmically like, it's interesting. Like what are the odds, you know, like what are the odds of this guy being this guy's son and, and taking out John, like doing this, like almost ridiculous crime to John, John wick. Right. It's almost like the universe in this film has, aligned it so that John can be this vehicle for wrath upon this family. Mm. You know, he, he made the family and now he is destroying the family. You know, Mm. it's almost like it it does feel very kismet, you know, like in a bad way for Mm -hmm. John, but maybe cosmically, this family is due for retribution. Yeah. I mean, oh, absolutely. This family is due for retribution. I think there's no, that there's no question in that. Um, and I think like, yeah, I think what's interesting is we, we get a sense that there are, um, we get a sense that there are, multiple families right there are multiple organizations in this in this world um and you in in future movies you get to see that more and more and john is acquainted with all of them you know john is again an infamous figure in that world what not just well respected but genuinely feared as mm-hmm. as somebody that's kind of outside the system in a way you know he's mm-hmm. not one of the people who's like working for power, you know, to gain influence in that community. He is a hired hand. He's a service. He's a service industry person. You know, he's not one of the richest in that organized in that world. He's just a worker. And so what's interesting is I don't as much as like, yeah, there is like a weird poetic justice in that he built them to where they are to the point where they've become so corrupt that he wants, now he has to take them down like that. There is a poetic justice in that. Mm -hmm. But I think 
you know, John would say there's a karma. He did a lot of bad things to get to where he is. You know, mm-hmm. he lives a pretty good life, you know, quote, quote unquote. He has a beautiful house, enough money to last him for the rest of his life. And not just money. He has clout. Like yeah. the police come to his house and see a bunch of dead bodies in there and are just like, you have a good night, John. You know, like mm-hmm. they don't like he in a way, John in our world is untouchable. Mm-hmm. And there is a, a fluidity and a confidence in in that, in the way he moves through our world, that I think upsets people. In that people in the other world don't like to see someone who they think is a normal person mm-hmm. being so confident because they're like, oh, you don't even know how much power you don't have. Right. Right. And so I think genuinely this was inevitable. John still lives where all this stuff is happening, you know, lives in the city, lives around that area. As the old guard goes away, as we're seeing like the older members of the family starting to age out and the younger members starting to age into power, people forget, especially because I'm sure people don't talk about John Wick openly, right? People would like to just forget him because he's the boogeyman. Like, invoke his name and poke the bear, and you don't mm-hmm. want to see what happens. So I think people w- wanted to just forget about John and let, you know, less re- incur his wrath. And so yeah. it makes sense that these young, up-and-coming assholes of, you know, Nepo babies run into yeah. somebody who they think is a normie mm. and fuck with him because he's so confident. He has this amazing car and he has a – John has a don't fuck with me, uh, you know, confidence to him. Mm. You know, like he's like, hey, like every – you know, I want to buy your car. And then John's like, no. And he's like, come on. Like everything has a price. And John's like, no, it doesn't. Yeah. You know, you can't buy me. You can't buy this. This is – you know, and the guy is so insulted. That he's like, well, I'm, I'm just, yeah, I'm just gonna beat up on this normie and take everything he loves from him. Yeah, I think that too. Just the fact that, like, and that leads to that. I think that's mirrored in a bigger conversation of people with a lot of money and a lot of power using either hypotheticals or fighting for things that are like very material. Whereas the people on the ground or the people, you know, being taken advantage of and on the losing end of it are fighting for their lives. They're fighting or the things that you know, their families, their hope, whereas the people who are, you know. You have to have money to win elections. Yeah, that's true. And the only way to not... There's only one way to circumvent that, and that's not a... And that's not good. But it's like where we're at. And... And that's... And that's what I guess what I'm saying is, is like the only way I see forward besides violence is technology. And I don't want to see violence. I don't want to see more violence. Mm -hmm. But I'm not going to sit here and say that the technology doesn't terrify me too. So Mm -hmm. this, this movie has a, a like revenge porn aspect to it in that there is a, pleasure that comes from watching somebody get fucked over and 
and pay it back in kind. And like in our in our real world, Seth, I think you, I, I agree with you where it's like we don't want more violence, you know, necessarily speaking. Like no one wants to see innocent people get hurt in the name of money import yeah <laughs> money but all but all, but you know from that's from one side but from the other side you know there's an argument to be made that like you know when slavery was happening like that needed to be there needed to be a coup right like and and to overthrow dangerous governments like the, there needed to be a threat of violence and if not a threat of violence there needed to be some yeah i mean where we're at sorry i don't want to we should be wrapping up probably but like where we're at in the stage of what what megan said is late stage capitalism inevitably violence is going to happen unless we can figure out a way to rewrite the system so like well, yeah we have to run it back like, you know like you're right like like the Economists will tell you what happens in late stage capitalism. There's a revolution, yeah, and things start over, yeah. But what, right, so it's like, so it's like, in order to stop yourself from the start, the burning it down and starting over process, what do you need to do? You need to backtrack, like you need to pull back or carve out a new way, you know. But yeah. and we have the tools to do so, but we have to do it responsibly and carefully you know because we don't want to become slaves to our technology you know which we already we already are so it's like we need to figure out how to circumvent that element of yeah of this new path which i don't know the answer but well i think what we're what we're seeing and and not to like it's so hard to say it in this way because like, I, I don't want to put, I don't want to, again, we've said this a few times. I don't want to justify anyone's horrific actions at all. Cause that's fucked up. You know, this shooting in Nashville, while maybe we can understand intellectually why this might happen, that's not a justification of it. Mm. But I think it's safe to say that for a lot of people, the fuse has been lit. You know? And more fuses are being lit every day based on the actions of the people at the top. The people who are punching down and looking to oppress and hurt other people through the law because they can mm. all that's going to do is pressurize and heat up this thing and you know what happens when you add pressure and you add heat to something boils it, over it yeah it explodes you know like that's what they're that's what's happening right now where we're adding pressure and heat to to a situation yeah, it's these conversations get um, really, they're just really sensitive anyway. But 
it's that balance of, yes, this person should be held accountable. It is, it was their action ultimately that led to the violence and the horrible, horrible loss. And at the same time, there's also so much on a much more macro scale that led to that and weighing both equally and giving room to both in the conversation gets really complicated. Um, And I think the people in charge tend to, while again, that person needs to be held accountable, the larger systems in place have to also be really scrutinized. And there's just none of that in a lasting way in these conversations, at least among the people who are making the decisions or who, who went out in these decisions. And that's the thing. Our, our leaders, quote unquote, who we've entrusted to have our best interests, they need to understand that we all have a breaking point. You know, we all have a point where there's, there's nothing else that we can do. And, you know, history has shown us when things get bad enough, you know, things reach a fever pitch. It's happened countless times in history. So, like, Mm. look at history, people. Look at where those trends go. Do we want to be that? Do we want to be that? Because Mm. that's, that's where it's going. That's scary. I will say, I want to, before we wrap up, and not to not to put you on blast or anything, but the, the use of the term revenge porn, I know what you meant, like mm-hmm. that feeling of like um, satisfaction from revenge, but revenge porn is like a very specific thing that means like, ex- you, you know are what absolutely, I mean? No. Yeah. So I just wanted no, to- <laughs> you are absolutely right. I feel Thank like you. people listening might confuse those two things. So I know what you meant, yes. um, but revenge porn is, you know, using sexually explicit images to hurt someone. Anyway. That's, that, no. Thank sorry, you. Sorry. I, I that's wanna... not what I meant. Thank yeah. You so much. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Uh, yeah. yeah, that is clearly not what I meant. Um, and thank yeah. you for. I did not realize because that thought of doing it th- something like that had never crossed my mind. Right. Right. Which is you know a good thing. Yeah. It's, that's good. <laughs> that's horrible too. It shouldn't cross your mind. No. I feel like Keanu Reeves in the Matrix in this conversation. I was just like, whoa. <laughs> like like uh like dodging bullets dodging like bullets <laughs> yeah yeah this is a hard this is i mean yeah, it's heavy yeah. it's one of the reasons why i think we, when we started this conversation i think we all were really tense because yeah, yeah. this is this is in a very a currently a very emotionally charged but that's the point of this podcast topic you gotta, yeah. you gotta let some of the air out of the bag, or the bag will burst. You know, like you, you, you can't, you can't just hold it in. And mm. I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we talked about it. I, mm-hmm. I don't feel like we solved yeah. anything, but I feel better. Well, you know what? This podcast isn't about solving things; it's about understanding things, understanding ourselves, mm. and expressing ourselves. It's not about we're not a problem solving podcast. We're, a, we're a existential podcast i I think i think we are not a problem solving podcast it should go on a show well (laughs) that's almost all podcasts i would disagree though i i I do think we are problem solving it's problems take a long time to solve and you have to talk about them to solve them and the and the point of this podcast is we are confronting head-on 
the problems we're afraid to, but we don't know how to solve. And that's eventually how you get to a solution. So I, I disagree with that, Rick. I think we are a problem solving podcast. Yeah. And I will say these conversations because they're so hard and because they're so exhausting, that feeds into exactly what the people who are who are not doing the right thing. That's exactly what they want. That's they, true. Or, or that's what they rely on. The fact that like we will get so numb to these things and so overwhelmed by how terrible and horrible and, and difficult they are. And the fact that ultimately it feels like we can't do anything about it because it's been decades and we haven't been able to, but, but these are important things to talk about. Agreed. And I appreciate you both for talking about it with me. And again, I considered not doing this episode because, because of everything, but I now having done it, I very much appreciate you both for coming to the table to, to talk about it. Um, and hopefully our listeners out there who are, who are still with us, um, uh, feel what we're feeling and understand that we're just trying to process our emotions on things and trying to make some kind of sense of the world that we live in. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, all we can do in this life yeah. sometimes. And so, um, thank you all out there for listening. Um, it's time to talk about what's next, and it is Megan's turn. Megan. Okay, so I was weighing a couple options, and this conversation just got so heavy that I, <laughs> I'm deciding right now in this moment that we will do. I, I feel like we we should do something a little bit happier. Mm-hmm. Um, That's fair. You know what? You know what? Let's do Sleepless in Seattle. Sleepless Ooh. in Seattle. Sleepless in Seattle. Let's do, let's, I was debating, that's one of my favorite movies ever. I, I kind of want to do one I haven't seen, but I, I would like a comfort movie, I think. That's okay. Right. You know. I know I always was, pick my favorite that movies. That was but. Mrs. Doubtfire for me last week. I do love me yeah. some Mrs. Doubtfire. Uh, yeah. So yeah, uh, Sleepless in Seattle. We're heading back to 1993. We hopped from 93 to 2014 and now we're back to 93 <laughs> uh so if you want to watch the sleepless in seattle with us starring tom hanks and meg ryan uh you can catch uh sleepless in seattle uh apparently it's on netflix uh so if you have a netflix subscription you can watch it there or you can pay to rent it on youtube google play movies and tv apple tv Redbox, voodoo and amazon prime uh so that is what we're going to be doing, Sleepless in Seattle. Thank you all for listening, and thank you to my two co-hosts once again. Uh, Megan, why don't you go ahead and shout yourself out? Uh, let sure. people know where they can find you, and if you had anything cool going on. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Megan underscore Jane 61, M-E-A-G-H-A-N, and you can find some of my writing and a little link in there um, in my bio, sometimes songs. Um, and that's really it right And now. she's got great poetry as well Thanks. on her Instagram. You can find a link there too. Yeah. Ooh, people. Yep. Yeah. Thanks. Read, read Megan's that. essays, read her poetry, listen to her music and follow her. I don't have music. Lovely face. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Wear my clothes though. I'm trying to make clothes. Wear her clothes. Someday. Give it like six months. Buy her jewelry. <laughs> <laughs> That's maybe in the future. <laughs> Seth, where can people find you? Yeah, you can find me at the Birdie Word on Twitter. That's T H E B I R D Y W O R D. 
or Seth Adam Crow on Instagram. That's S-E-T-H-A-D-A-M-C-R-O-W-E, always with an E, uh, and SethCrow.com. Um, yeah. Awesome, awesome. And I am Ricardo Blade Diaz. You can find me at Ricardo Blade Diaz on Instagram and TikTok. Um, and uh, hey, go ahead, if you haven't already, go over to Netflix and uh, check out the series In Love All Over Again. Uh, turn on the English dub and you can hear yours truly as the voice of Da. Yeah. Uh, hoping to get to season two. So please go ahead and head on over there and uh, listen to that. You can hear my voice as one of the main characters. So that's kind of fun. Would love to be on season two. So let's make that happen. Uh, and if you want to follow this podcast, the what's it about film podcast, we post new episodes every Friday morning on basically anywhere that you can get podcasts, Spotify, Apple podcasts, Amazon music, anywhere. Uh, so yeah, you can follow us there or you can follow our social medias where we hope to start posting more um, at we Pod what on Twitter at what's it about podcast on Instagram and at what's it about pod on TikTok. Uh, hopefully TikTok's still around <laughs> in the future. Some uh, version of it will be something. Yeah. Uh, so thank you all out there for listening. Please get involved in the conversation and interact with us with whatever you think um, about you know, what we talk about. We'd love to hear from you. And let us know if there's any movies out there that you want us to, uh, to do. Thank you so much, everybody. Uh, we'll see you next time. Bye. Adios. Bye.